Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. I'm. I, I honestly, I, I don't. I, I don't even know what to do with myself right now. Both of my children are not home. I think this is the first time uh, since December, like, 20th or something. I mean, it's been, it's been frickin' forever. And I, I get that starting a show like that makes it seem like I resent my children, which is not the case. I honestly just felt horrible for them. Because if you guys have been listening to the show lately, you know that my kids have been going through a a stomach virus for the frickin' ages. The violent part had been over for a while, but the lingering aftershocks hadn't. And you just, you can't send a kid to school with that going on. When they're older, you risk them becoming the kid where that thing happens. And when they're younger... Like, just, it'll get everywhere. So they're home, and they're home, and they're home, and I'm like, I'm trying to get things done, but when they're kids that need things in the next room, and they're not super old, I can get a podcast done, and then, like, everything else, I was just trying to wedge in during little moments. And then you have this this sort of opposite side of it here, where, I know I'm not talking about basketball yet, and you guys hate it when I talk about other stuff at the beginning of the show, so... Whatever. Uh, do you guys ever have this happen to you where you now finally have a moment and your body goes into full letdown mode? Because that's what I'm feeling right in this moment. Like, I know that I should be getting nuts and, like, anything can happen tomorrow. They could both be sick again. The sky could fall. I should get everything I can done today while I have, I don't know, a handful of hours to do it. But all my body wants to do is just like, oh, Dan, don't you really want to just rest for a second? Because for the last I don't know how many days, I've been trying to jam a thousand things into 45 minutes. And that's also exhausting. Welcome to the show. My show opening celebration slash rant. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a sports ethos presentation. I am your host, Dan Vespris, now a member of the Believe Podcast Network. Fun piece of news for us. I'm going to do a Twitter announcement about it at some point. I want to, uh, I want to make sure that I actually put my butt into that, my whole butt, not just a fraction of said butt. Uh, and that's another reason that I haven't, like, I've been able to do a proper announcement about that because... I don't want to do it just like racing into the bedroom, click on the computer and race back off to figure out whatever, what's wrong with kid number two. So that'll probably happen today. I have, uh, I have a wild hope that I'll be able to get a second show done this afternoon. I have prep I've got to do for uh, play-by-play stuff. The list is a thousand things long. I might get to three of them before I just straight up fall asleep right onto the microphone. Was there any big news in the NBA over the last little bit? The answer is not really. 
interestingly enough. Nothing this morning. No news has yet broken this morning. There weren't really any large injuries last night. Marcus Smart dealing with a finger thing. That was sort of the biggest one, and we don't really have a follow-up on that. So, to that end, I will say to everyone, please take a moment to like, rate, subscribe. It does matter. Every little thing that happens helps kind of snowball it. Welcome to those watching live on YouTube and on Twitter these days. I'm trying the simulcast again. We'll see how the hell it works. StreamYard actually seems to indicate, I'm looking over on the side here, there are comments coming from Twitter and from YouTube. I don't, I think I can put either of them on the board if I want. I just have no idea if I can respond to them. We're figuring it out on the fly because I got a freaking cardboard sheet as my backdrop. I got an unmade bedroom on the other side of it. This is high-tech stuff. High-tech. Maybe I'm misusing that. Minnesota beat Orlando. A blowout. Lovely way to start the evening. Uh, this game was actually not, like, all the way over at the end of the third quarter. So you still got 33, 34, 35 minutes out of some of the starters. Thank goodness, I guess, because it could have been worse, particularly on the Orlando side. For Minnesota, not a ton of surprises. Jaden McDaniels continues to be, like, kind of the ultimate. And I'm trying to think of a, a not... Uh, how's a way to describe Jaden McDaniels in a, in a non or in a, a safe for work way <sighs> let's just leave it at I wish he would be even remotely close to this aggressive on a nightly basis because he's a 1-1-1 one, one, one guy 1-3, one, one steal, one block problem is that he's kind of a 1-1-1 one, 1-1-1 one, 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 one guy like 1 steal, 1-3, one, 1 block, 1 free throw, 1 turnover, 1 assist, 2 rebounds. Like he just he doesn't really do Normally if you see a guy who has a 3, a steal and a block, they should be able to walk into fantasy value, but they have to do some other stuff. And sure he did in this ball game, but that's not the norm unfortunately. And I'm just going to keep waiting until it is. No changes elsewhere. You guys know my stance on almost all of these guys. Nas Reed is a Stream While Warm member of the Stream While Warm Ward. I don't know why I decided to make it a silly sentence because now I have to say it every day. Anthony Edwards left and came back. He only played 26 minutes, but he'll be fine. Don't uh, don't look too much at that. He'll be okay. Over on the Orlando side, Wendell Carter Jr. back out again. Cole Anthony actually tweaked a thigh. Uh, the problem I think he's had at some point in his career before. So hopefully he'll be okay quickly. In the short term, the Magic do actually have a couple of fantasy things going on. Uh, Jalen Suggs is not really one of them. He's been just sort of consistently good again lately. The center situation is one. Goga Batadze got the start and got run off the court. So they went to Mo Wagner, who was scoring better. He had 21-8. and eight. But that thing's back to what it was the last time Wendell Carter Jr. was out, which was Goga had the better path to value as the starter who gets blocks and rebounds. But then, you know, one out of every two or three ball games, it flips completely. And so Goga just can't clear the top 100. And Wagner typically doesn't get all that close to that. If you can catch him on the right night, congratulations. But it's kind of impossible. So if you're going to stream somebody, it's probably Goga, even after looking at this ball game. Uh, I don't know that I'm doing either one. 
people always say, Dan, well, what are you actually going to do here? The answer is probably nothing. Markel Fultz, I've basically moved on from. He missed whatever it was, two months. They're working him back in incredibly slowly. I'm sure they'd love for him to play starters minutes. I don't know how long it's going to get there, but it ain't going to be fast. And unless a bunch of guys are still out, when he gets back to starters level minutes, I don't think Markel gets inside the top 100. At least not this year. Caleb Houston is filling in for Franz Wagner. He's fine. He got 12 shots up, which isn't bad. Eight points, seven boards, a couple of three-pointers. Not using a Roto Games cap play on him if you wanted to. So I got to come up with a way of doing this faster. And when I say this, I mean I got to come up with a way of delineating what is a head-to-head play versus a Roto play versus a schedule play. Because they're not all the same thing. And I was trying to describe them a little bit, I think, on yesterday's show. Or maybe it was the one before that. Who knows? Time is swirling around my head, and I have no idea which way is up. Uh, So a roto play, in my mind, is an expression I use for someone who's a start in all formats. Because when I call them a roto play, I'm not saying, oh, that means they're good in all nine categories. Because there's like two guys in the NBA that fit that mold. When I say someone is a roto play, it means I'm comfortable using them against a game's cap, meaning I think that this guy is going to be inside the top 100 on a nightly basis, or at least like over some length of time. Each individual game might not be a top 100 play, but you know, over a week or two weeks or three weeks or whatever, that person's a top 100 play. A head-to-head play, as I should be using the term, is someone who might have a weak point in their fantasy game where in head-to-head leagues, maybe it doesn't matter as much. So maybe the weak point is one of the percentages because those fluctuate week to week. So if somebody is a bad free throw shooter but just has an okay free throw shooting week, then they don't really have that negative impact on your team that week. If you're, If it's a guard who doesn't get steals, that would be annoying on the roto side, but it's let's say you're punting steals in a head-to-head league that guy becomes more of a head-to-head play. Someone who might not be inside the top 109 cat, but if you're punting one category or if you're not worried about certain variants, that guy becomes someone you could use on the head-to-head side. A schedule play also implies head-to-head, but not as much of a concern, oh, this person is going to put up top 100 numbers or this person is going to put up top 100 punt-something numbers, but instead... You know, maybe they're like a top 130, 140, 150 range dude, which is not all that impressive, but they've got three games in four nights. So three games in four nights out of a top 140 guy, that's better than two games out of a top 100 guy in that same span. Or one game out of a top 75 guy in that span. So the schedule play is kind of that third rung down, and that's more about streaming. That's the way I'm going to try to use those terms. I'll try to refresh us on that as we go Speaking of as we go, let's go. Sacramento beat Detroit. This game was close for the first half and then uh, not so close for the second half. Detroit is good for opposing teams. Sabonis, giant game. Keegan Murray, giant game. Malik Monk, giant game. De'Aaron Fox, like kind of a medium-sized game, but you're not going to complain about it. Uh, Trey Lyles played 32 minutes off the bench in this one. I don't think that he's an ad, but you could certainly classify him as a schedule play now. This not to say, like, I don't, I could look up the Kings schedule while we're going here. I don't have them all saved in the back of my brain. 
this is part of a back-to-back for Sacramento. That they they're starting yesterday. They go four and six days, and then they have a bad schedule next week. So it's not like this is a good spot. I'm just saying, like if you wanted to pick up Trey Lyles yesterday to get three games and four nights, that would have been fine. You're not using him against the Roto Games cap. Is not a guy that you're looking at using in head-to-head long term. So this is where we can start to define that the terminology a little bit. And he got those extra minutes because Harrison Barnes was garbage and hopefully is going to get moved at some point soon. I mean, maybe not. Don't get excited about Trey Lyles because they move Barnes. They're going to bring somebody in that would take those minutes anyway. Uh, Let's keep moving. There's nothing really to see on the Sacramento side. As far as Detroit goes, this is game one without Cade Cunningham, where we're looking to see who might get the initial burst. The... uh, I think the overall consensus was that Jaden Ivey would have the first crack at it, and he did. He took 17 shots to lead the team yesterday. 22 points, 5 boards, 6 assists, 2 threes, 2 steals. Those are all good numbers. The problems for Ivey, which you got a little bit of a taste of them here, is field goal percent is going to be trouble. Free throw percent is going to be trouble. Turnovers are going to be trouble. And I would venture to guess that on a night-to-night basis, you'll see more trouble in other things as well. This is a ball game where the points, assists, and steals were positive enough that it, I think you could say successfully counterweighted the bad stuff. But I also want to try to remind everybody of an old term. I'm sure you've heard of it. It's called the Law of Averages. We saw Jaden Ivey in a feature role last year. That's not to say that he didn't get better season over season because his field goal percent is 45 this year after it was 42 last season. Maybe that's something that sticks. Maybe that was also because he had Cade playing next to him. Hard to say. Last year, he averaged 16 points, four boards, five assists, just less than a steal per ball game, 0.2 blocks on 41.5%, shooting 75% at the free throw line and 3.2 turnovers per game. Last year, he was not inside the top 100 in nine category leagues. If this is what he turns back into now with Cunningham out, someone who's taking 13, 14 shots a game, points league, he should be added everywhere, or he probably should have been rostered already everywhere because his problems tend to be the things that are de-emphasized in a lot of points formats. Not all of them, but many of them. He's also operating slightly above Last year's per-minute mark in steals and blocks right now, which could potentially come down. We don't know for sure. Again, there's a lot of variance there. But, you know, he got off to sort of like a big block start, and then over the last six games, he has won. These things have a way of leveling out with the expectations. I don't want to, again, I want to say it again, I don't want to write off the possibility that he might have just gotten a little bit better, because young guys do. But I think it's also worth noting that you know, looking at last year, he, not only was he not a nine-category guy, but he, he frankly wasn't all that close to a nine-category guy. Like, he was outside the top 200 almost no matter how you sliced the stats up last season. And it was basically this team that you're seeing for Detroit right now. They have Ossar Thompson, who they didn't have in there last year, but then it was like a bunch of mishmash pieces, and Jaden Ivey. So again, points leagues, yes. Roto games cap? No, 
I, I can't do it. I, I like I think he's going to do more damage in the bad categories than he's going to help in the good ones. People are like, oh, but 22 points and, and six assists, like that, that helps a lot. Yeah, it helps. But it doesn't help as much as some of the other stuff hurts. So I know I'm going to take some heat for this one, but I don't feel bad about the take. It's part of being an analyst. You're going to take heat for things that seem insane. He does also certainly fit the bill as someone who would classify more as a head-to-head kind of guy. Like if you're punting turnovers or if you're punting one of the percentages, he he absolutely inches closer. But people are going to be like, oh, Dan, you can't, like, your leagues are not competitive if you don't have Jaden Ivey. That's just not true. There might be a team in your league that's punting turnovers and field goal percent. Okay, fine. Does that mean that he has to be rostered? No, because if there isn't a team in your league that's punting two of the three, what we sort of traditionally call the points league exclusion categories, then he wouldn't make sense. And in a Roto League, league, he wouldn't make sense. So it's league dependent. As far as everybody else, I'm not that worried about it, because Ivy's the only one that you're looking at is like, hey, maybe this could work. Alec Burks right now is exclusively like a points category only stream. Not points leagues, the points category. Killian Hayes, don't care. Boyan Bogdanovich, he's going to get do a lot. Hopefully, Jalen Duran stays upright, and that's as far as you can throw that pebble and just hope that Cade gets back quickly. Is anybody surprised that the Blazers have actually gotten worse since DeAndre Ayton got hurt and they kind of semi-benched Malcolm Brogdon? I'm not surprised. It'll get better. The Knicks are playing really good basketball right now. Uh, the OG and OB trade was one that kind of weirdly worked out on both sides. We'll talk about Toronto in a minute. This game was over early, so I don't want to take too much away from either team. Nothing about the Blazers' changes in my eyes. We called Anthony Simons a sell high when he got off to that crazy hot start this year. He's now slid to number 64 because, duh, he wasn't going to hit five three-pointers a game. It is what it is. Like Again, the law of averages. All of these things eventually just shake out the right way. Duop Reith is interesting right now because Moses Brown had surgery and Aiton is still out. I know he didn't have a good ball game here, but nobody did on the Blazers. So you figure maybe they play a team that's not as skilled defensively as the Knicks. You could probably drop Reith in there just because if he doesn't foul out, he'll have to play 25 to 30 minutes in a regular ball game because there's just sort of nobody else. I guess. Maybe that's not accurate. Ibu Baji played 27 minutes, so I guess there is one other player. Ah, it just feels like Reith is the safer play. He's not something I'm he's not someone I'm racing to pick up. Let's let's leave it at that. I, I felt like we needed to mention his name. You can mention Baji's name as well. If they flip-flopped and Baji started a, got the starting job, I might reconsider, but in this spot <sighs> Again, I I wouldn't use a wreath game against a game scap on the Roto side. Head-to-head, you could probably get away with it. Uh, you know what? Screw it. Leave them all alone. They're not very good. And fantasy-wise, they're certainly not. Uh, they're all NBA players, so they're obviously good. But fantasy-wise, blech. It's kind of amazing that anybody on the Knicks got over 31 minutes, but then you got to remember it's Tom Thibodeau. This game was basically a 30-point ball game throughout. Julius Randle still managed 31 minutes because why the hell not? Quentin Grimes had 17 points off the bench. I know they've been wanting to get him more playing time. I wouldn't read too much into this. Isaiah Hartenstein rolling and Anobi good on his new team. Randle Brunson had a down game, but who cares? 
Dante DiVincenzo and Josh Hart are the two names on the Knicks that you sort of have one side eye on. Dante's been putting up really big per-minute numbers, but we can't seem to get his minutes above about 25, which makes him kind of a tough sell as far as fantasy teams go. And then Josh Hart, you know, he's always going to do the rebounding thing, but his minutes aren't safe, and then the production isn't always safe. So, again, I think I'm pretty much leaving those guys alone. Schedule plays. Schedule plays. We have an opportunity, again, to use our new... Not new, but more accurately uh, appropriated terminology. There's a little squeaky noise you guys just heard, and I'm realizing it's because the side of my water mug is pressing up against the uh, the pop filter on my microphone. And you get this little squeak. And unfortunately, by the time I get to the end of the show, I'm not going to remember the timestamp on this. And, and then I'm going to forget to edit it out. So I figured it was easier to just to explain what the weird noise was. Memphis beat Dallas 120-103. to 103. This was very much a injured star theory ball game. John Morant got ruled out for the year. He inspired his guys to go play hard. And they did. And Dallas came out and they were like, this team doesn't have jaw anymore. Their season is done. We don't have to focus. That's the magic of the NBA. There's really only two teams in the NBA you can actually play without any focus. And the Grizzlies are not one of those two teams. They're not good, but they have enough on the team to beat you if you come in and you close your eyes. Let's hope Marcus Smart is okay. He was settling into, well, he's on a heater, and that's definitely not going to stick forever. But his role is certainly going to be bigger here with John Morant out for the season. Marcus Smart definitely belongs on rosters because of that news. No JJJ in this ballgame. So the starting lineup got a little bit of a shakeup. Luke Kennard and Vince Williams were the starting wings for the Grizzlies. And I do think that some of that is worth watching. Previously, we saw Vince Williams get more playing time when John Morant was out. If Smart is healthy and JJJ comes back, I'm probably not picking up anybody else. If JJJ misses any additional time, I might consider a Vince Williams start on the head-to-head side because there are you know, a few holes in his fantasy game and you might may or may not get a massive, massive game out of it. I don't think that I would use him on the Roto side. Kennard is the one that I wish would see more playing time. It seems like they're trying to keep his minutes in check, which and some of that is a defensive thing. Some of that is just a body breakdown thing which makes it hard to say, yeah, you know, this is a guy you might end up picking up. I don't think there's anybody else on the Grizzlies. I really don't. Vince Williams probably ends up being your closest, but you're probably just looking at Smart, Jackson, uh, and then Desmond Bain, who we we all thought was a sell high for a while, but now he's going to have to go do some heavy lifting. The fear for the Grizzlies, of course, is that they end up looking terrible at some point here soon, and they will. Like, this is the adrenaline game when nobody else in the NBA has any. And then they'll come back and have none after it runs out. And then they're going to get their butts kicked for a while. Hey, guys, were you worried about Kyrie Irving even when I told you not to be? Yeah, he's fine. What did it take? A week of good ball games? That was it. Kyrie's up to number 10 in nine category leagues now. 24 points, five boards, five assists, 2.7 threes, 1.4 steals, half a block on 48-89 splits. He is a majestically low turnover player. 
He is, like Kawhi Leonard, very close to a nine-category guy. Needs about .2 blocks, uh, about .8 rebounds, which probably won't happen, and about one percentage point from the field, which, frankly, he might have two of those after one more ball game with the way he's going right now. So Kyrie's on, Kyrie's on a heater. Uh, unfortunately, I mean, the missed ball games obviously were a huge pain in the butt with that freak foot injury, Dwight Powell slamming into his foot. And that was a downer. Luckily, he's actually played when he's healthy so far this season. And so we're good on that front. The Mavs' story, I think, is what happens to the wings now. Because this game, I thought, was an example of how when the Stars are in, especially if they're losing, the wings are going to disappear. So Derek Jones Jr., not a good enough ballgame here. Managed to sort of salvage it by having decent percentages and a block, but not a good ball game. You knew Tim Hardaway Jr. wasn't going to be able to do stuff when both Kyrie and Luka are there because he needs shots to be successful. The only other name you're thinking about is Dante Exum, who's been out for the last few ball games, and we don't have an exact timeline on his return, but he did a lot of his damage with field goal percent, which, again, like you need to take shots for that to have a positive impact. And I just don't know that there are going to be enough shots for these guys. The Exum thing is annoying because it's hard to hold a fringier player when they're hurt. He's questionable, so like he very well could be back for the next ballgame. But the reason he's been a top 100 play for the last two or three weeks was because he's been shooting 60% from the field. If that goes away, is there enough to float his value? I think the answer is no. I think ultimately all of these Dallas fringe guys fall outside the top 100 as long as Kyrie and Luka are healthy. And the third guy on that team, the only third guy that I would think about wanting to roster would be Derek Lively, but he's also hurt right now, which also makes him a difficult hold in head-to-head leagues if you don't have an IL slot. So the Mavs are troubling right now. They're a difficult team to work with. Is, is the answer to just, like, drop all of those guys? Uh, maybe. I mean, again, you know your league better than I do. If you need that roster slot, if you need the, if you can't take those zeros, then yeah. Then, yeah. I mean, you move on at that point. But if you can hold on to Lively, I would still try to do it. The other guys, I don't think there's nearly as much upside, and so I wouldn't be all that worried about it. Lakers and Raptors had a wild one, 132-131. The internet was all a buzz because the Lakers got a whole bunch of free throws. This only happens when the Lakers take free throws. Um, there were... People are acting like there were like 15 really weird calls at the end of that ballgame. I think there were probably two that I thought were goofy. The flagrant on Emmanuel quickly was extremely odd. It was an offensive foul. He caught Cam Reddish in the face with an elbow. Fan, If you're a fan of Toronto, you don't like that call. Whatever team it goes against is a call, you're not going to like it, but they've been calling that very consistently in the NBA the last two seasons. If you catch a defender with an inadvertent elbow, it's an offensive foul. That's just the way it is. I have no idea why it was a flagrant foul. And they reviewed it. They were like, I think that they, the Lakers broadcast at least showed... One of the officials trying to explain it to quickly he said, oh, like, he led with the elbow forward instead of the ball coming across. I watched the replay along with the rest of you. It seemed like he was just swinging the ball across, and the elbow 
caught Reddish, kind of like chicken-winged him, coming inward. It looked very inadvertent. It didn't look like anything malicious. I have no idea why that was a flagrant foul. That seemed wacky-wacky to me. Uh, and then I'm trying to think of the other one. I feel like it was like an out-of-bounds call that didn't matter. It doesn't matter. I watched the end of it. It was actually a pretty fun ball game until it got all controversial at the end. Both teams shot the crap out of it. Raptors 56%, Lakers 54 I will also comment, though, that anybody that's yelling about this and then also yells when the media positions things as a Lakers-centric story has to sort of swallow the a weird pill there. And what I mean by this, I don't want you guys to take offense to this thing. I just mean, like, we can't really have it both ways. Are we annoyed that ESPN features Lakers stuff as often as they do? Are we annoyed that ESPN makes their stories Lakers-centric? And if the Lakers get beat, it's Lakers lose, as opposed to other team wins. That's what they do because the Lakers get clicks. But then when this type of thing happens, the only time we ever talk about it is when it's involving the Lakers. Now, this fourth quarter was especially large, but there are plenty of other games that happen in an NBA season where one team gets 15, 20 more free throws than the other one. Nobody talks about it. We only talk about it when it's the Lakers, because then it's, oh, the league is rigged, blah, blah, blah. The league is not rigged. This type of crap happens. It just so happens that whether this officiating crew was seeing things a particular way, I'll try to do a better job of pointing out the next time that one team has like a 20 free throw gap over the other. Fourth quarter, yes, was weird. I am not denying that. But it's not cooked. These types of things happen. There are games where, but then, again, my point is basically, if we're only going to talk about this when it happens, we're feeding into the problem. If Twitter, I need Twitter, I need you all to go, I need you all to go crazy the next time any team gets a 20 free throw advantage. But we're also proving the media's point, is what I'm saying. We're proving the media's point. They're saying, look, if you guys are only going to talk about stuff when it's Lakers, we're just going to talk about Lakers. The reason they keep doing it is because people keep reading it. They're not stupid, I promise. And then they do it, and then you talk about how annoying it is that they do it, and so that's still us talking about it. It's not. There's nothing that you and I or any of us. There's what you know, a few thousand of us here that read sports ethos and listen to these podcasts. We're not going to do anything. Exactly, shining night, shining night, self fulfilling prophecy. Perfectly said. It's a self fulfilling prophecy. I don't think there's anything we can do about it. But we just have to be okay with it at this point. Because if we want to get enraged when stuff happens involving the Lakers, we can't be mad when they just keep force-feeding Lakers stuff to us. Anyway, most of this game was pretty fun. I hope you guys got to watch it from the outset because it really went back and forth. I don't think any team, I don't believe either team led by more than eight points the whole game. That's crazy in the modern NBA considering... Everybody's just bombing in threes the whole night. And from a good news standpoint, uh, Scotty Barnes had a nice ball game. Pascal Siakam had a nice ball game. Manuel Quickly had a nice ball game. Anthony Davis went huge. LeBron had a good ball game. 
Like, we got some pretty good fantasy lines. R.J. Barrett has returned to Canada, and he's playing with a renewed purpose. But guess who doesn't care? Dan raises his hand. Here's the thing. Guys go on hot runs. You guys remember the first two weeks this year, and R.J. Barrett was inside the top 40? Because he was shooting like 48% from downtown. I actually had someone in the YouTube mention say, can't guys just get better at shooting three-pointers? No. <laughs> no. Um. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Especially when a guy's been in the NBA for a decade already. So here's the thing. If you want to play R.J. Barrett while he's on a heater, I'm not going to stop you. But there's zero chance I'm playing him in a Roto Games Cap League. Because he could come out and he could just take an absolute what my kids have been making the last eight days on your percentages, it could all go to hell in a heart in a heartbeat. I think he's going to be better here in Toronto than he was in New York. He's not going to get yanked around in Toronto the way he did uh, by Tom Thibodeau. For one, Canada loves him. I get it. It's cool. It's easy to root for one of your own. Wearing a Cal Bears hat right now, although there's a current Cal Bear that's been a little bit goofball. But mostly we root for our own. And I think he probably enjoys playing in Toronto. So good. You know, it's a, sort of a fresh start kind of thing. But do I think he's going to just magically go from being like a top 180, 9-cat guy to being a top 51? No. But I will say this about RJ. He was fringy in points leagues this year. He's almost definitely going to be an all-systems-go points leagues guy because he's just going to have enough to do the rest of the way. And Toronto moves the ball more than New York does. So, like, he's just going to be more involved. He's going to have more fun. That matters for these guys. I know it's like, oh, you're an NBA player. Who cares if you're... No, fun matters. I think the bigger story from this game, it, at least from a fantasy standpoint, is Jakob Pertl got ruled out basically indefinitely yesterday. Wee, yippee, what a fun way to start the day. I think the reevaluation was two weeks but they said they didn't really have a firm timetable on it. And so a lot of us, myself included, was like, you know what, I'm going to pick up Chris Boucher, see what happens tonight. And sure enough, out of nowhere, parachuting in, dropping in from the rafters like Apollo Creed, except not wearing American flag trunks, Thaddeus Young gets the start and 29 freaking minutes. If anybody says they saw that coming, they are a liar and a thief. This is Thad Young we're talking about here. Funny thing is, I'm in, I think, pretty damn competitive fantasy basketball leagues. Even after last night, he still didn't get picked up in any of them. Not one. Which is amazing. Toronto has no size at all. With Jakob Pertl hurt. Chris Boucher is a string bean. Thaddeus Young is strong, but he's what, 6'8"? 
six seven. He's listed on the roster at probably six nine. Yeah, me too. I'm five eleven on an NBA roster. Boom, 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 boom. But the beauty part of Thad Young, and we've seen it here in the twilight of his career, which is lasting forever. It's a very long and delicious twilight, is that he's a frickin' Swiss Army knife now. He scores on a good field goal percent. He boards. He assists these days. I mean, that magically popped up in Chicago a few years ago, and it's continued. He's always been an amazing steals guy, one of the best deflections dudes in the NBA. So why are we all so hesitant? I think the simple answer is that he's old as dirt. He's not as old as me. I guess that's something. But... He's 35, so yeah, he's certainly been trending down. He's been in the NBA since 2007. Like, this is a guy that's been in the NBA since, well, I was I was out of undergrad by then, but not by that much. But then, you kind of have to look at the individual moments with Thad Young. And this is the player I actually want to kind of focus on on today's show, because it's... There wasn't all that much that happened yesterday. We can just keep yelling about it. Thad Young requires that we look at the game-by-games. Because there's never going to be an extended stretch where he's putting up big, fat numbers. But as recently as last year in November, there was a period where the Raptors were missing a couple of frontcourt players. And Thad got tapped on the shoulder and said, we need you to play almost starters minutes for two weeks. And Thad said, all right, coach, let me get the Advil. And his numbers over those two weeks were not eye-popping by any stretch, but they were useful. 15-5 and five with three steals, first game in that stretch. 6-6-4 six, six and four with two steals and a block. 12-8, and eight, no steals in that ball game. 18-9-4 with four steals. 12-8-5 with two steals. 4-6-4 four, with two steals. He also had five fouls in that one, so struggled a bit. 10-7-3 without a defensive stat. And then the Raptors got healthier. That was it. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven games. He was asked to play starters, eh, close to, starters men. It's basically like what he did yesterday. And he was inside the top 100. It was like a top 80, top 90 kind of run. Do we trust that he gets these minutes every game? Well, let's look at the competition. Chris Boucher, who got pushed around like a leaf by the Lakers front court. Sorry, Chris Boucher. Your your time is done. Anthony Davis, LeBron James, Christian Wood just m- picked him up, moved him like a kid. Thad at least has the strength. He wasn't going to stop Anthony Davis. Nobody was. But at least he had the strength to stick with some guys. Jonte Porter, who wasn't even actually in the Yahoo database yesterday. That's not, that, that one's... No, that one's not happening. So I think the answer is actually kind of yeah. Now, it helped a little bit that Emmanuel quickly fouled out in 26 minutes. He would have played a little bit more, although I would venture to guess that those minutes, maybe one or two come from Thad, one or two come from Schroeder, one or two come from Gary Trent. And does Thad play more 
Then do dudes Chris Boucher or Jonte Porter lose a couple of those minutes? I don't think those guys earned any trust yesterday. I believe let me double check on this while we're talking about it. I believe the Raptors stay in Los Angeles. Yeah, they're they're in LA again tonight to take on the Clippers, who are also a very strong team. Zubots, big dude in the middle. And then, you know, Kawhi is not as not as much of a bruiser as LeBron, but he'll push you around a little bit. Then they go to Utah in a couple of days. The Jazz rotations are are all out of whack. From a head-to-head standpoint, you're probably not picking up any of these guys because you've got two games over the next five days. From the Roto standpoint, I'm actually okay with rolling Thad Young here and just kind of seeing what develops because I would argue that Anthony Davis, at least over the next like two weeks, is probably the toughest center they're going to face. Christoph Porzingis is an equally difficult cover and taller than Anthony Davis, but what are they going to do there? Like, are they going to stick Boucher on him? No, you probably have to throw somebody in there that can get low and annoy and disrupt, and that ends up being Thad also. And he moves the basketball. He's a ball mover. Those other two guys don't really know how to pass. So I actually think as nuts and lunatic-level stuff as this was... I think it actually continues. Thad, uh, 29 minutes, uh, I don't know about it it getting that high every single ballgame, but 25, 26, very attainable. And if his stat profile holds over what we've seen basically the last two or three seasons, this sort of old man, they call him Thadgic because he's passing now, or the Thaditude, that's what I like to use for a long time, he can get you... Top 90-ish range stuff as a pickup, which, again, like, that's... If you can get it for a few weeks, maybe two, three weeks, that's worth it. So all formats, I say pick them up. Let's see what happens. Why the hell not? For the Lakers, D'Angelo Russell uh, was driving angry yesterday. He and a bunch of guys just kept getting into it. He also left without talking to the media for the second game in a row. It feels like he thinks he's about to be traded. Uh, And so he's looking irritable, and honestly, it's probably a good time to hang on to him because if he gets moved someplace, he'll likely get to do more than what's going on here. I think he probably actually would have played more in this ballgame if he wasn't playing so angry because he was making some kind of weird decisions. If Cam Reddish has to miss time, you probably see more Russell at that point. Uh, I I fully don't understand what Darvin Ham is doing with rotations on a game-to-game basis because... Max Christie was a plus five. D'Lo was a plus seven. Those guys barely got to play. The bench was playing well. Christian Wood did get more minutes because he's been playing well. Uh, but then they went back to Torian Prince and Cam Reddish because like, oh, yeah, we need defense. And those guys really weren't. I guess Reddish actually played better yesterday. But it's really weird. It's, it almost feels like Darwin is so stuck in a particular pattern that he can't get off of it. In any event... Torian Prince is warming back up a little bit, so you can stream him for threes if you need to. Austin Reeves is in a brutal three-point shooting slump, so it's actually kind of a buy low right now on Reeves. And then, you know, we'll see who's healthy for the next ball game. If Reddish is back, we know Rui's getting closer. That could mess things up. And if D'Lo really is about to get traded, I mean, you could get him for pennies. He's getting dropped in a lot of formats, and he might end up on a team that gives him 25 to 32 minutes and says, go get him, Tiger, and then you get a top 60 guy for nothing. So hold on D'Angelo Russell, buy low on Austin Reeves. Frankly, you could buy low on D'Lo. I don't know that you need to. I think one more game 
of him getting 16 minutes, you could pick him up off the waiver wire. Buy low on Reeves. Buy low on D'Lo. Christian Wood is a stream while warm guy right now. Prince is a stream while warm guy. I'm not interested in Cam Reddish. And uh, that's the story from yesterday. Again, I have high hopes of doing a second show this afternoon. I haven't decided what it is. I guess it's been long enough since Friday we could do another buy low. Everybody loves a good buy low, and I just yelled two names at you. So maybe they'll be on it. Hey, before we get there, check out our buddies at manscaped.com. Promo code there is ethos20. Get 20% off and free shipping on your order at manscaped.com. Shout out to our new partners at the Believe Sports Network. Also, find me on Twitter at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Like the show, please, people. Like the show, please. It ain't that tough. I know you can do it. And subscribe however you're taking in the podcast. That means a whole lot. Try to listen every day if you can. And again, I'll catch you guys over on social. We got more stuff to do over there. Hopefully, if I don't get a call from one of my children's schools saying, oh, yeah, your kid doesn't look like they're feeling great, we will finally get a second damn show out there today. Life, man. You take what it throws at you. Thanks to everybody for having a cool chat in the chat room right now. I don't know if the people on YouTube can see the people on Twitter and vice versa, but I'll keep simulcasting as long as everybody seems to think it's cool. And in the meantime, have a great middle of your day. I'll catch you guys in a little. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.